Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Before we go to today's message, we want to invite you to check out our website, www.harvestagokc.com. Again, that's harvestagokc.com. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, as we've seen so far in our series on words, well, <laughs> the words of Jesus, I mean, they don't digest very easily, do they? I mean, forgive those who harm you. Love your enemies. And that includes our spouses and our kids. Right? We've got to forgive them. We've got to love them also. Well, today, we're going to talk about one of the subjects in the very controversial statement that Jesus gave in John chapter 6, verse 53, where Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Wow. Then Jesus goes on to say, he who drinks my blood abides in me. Today we're going to talk about the blood. The singer's saying about the blood. Now, it's not the blood and gore that some crave in movies or video games. I want to drink your blood. That's not it. But it is the blood of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ shed on the cross. And I believe we need to get back to preaching about the blood. We need to get back to pleading the blood. Why? Because all power is through the blood of Jesus Christ. This gospel that we preach, this good news, it is covered in the blood of Jesus. Leviticus chapter 17, God states, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And here's the best part. God says, I have given it to you to make atonement for your soul. Without the blood, we have no gospel at all. Deliverance isn't through good works. It's not through good ideas. It's not through good philosophies. Five steps, 12 steps, 20 steps, no matter how positive they may be, they won't do it. But one step will bring a change in your life, and that is a step into a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all, all of their guilty stains. I mean, if you think about it, if not for the blood, these pews would be empty. Or best of all, we would just be a social club coming to hang out. But it is the blood that sanctifies us and delivers us and redeems us and propitiates our sins and covers us with the grace of Almighty God. I don't know about you, but I know it was the blood for me. So if you would, turn to the book of Genesis. We're going to be looking in chapter 4. Now Genesis is really not that hard to find. Anyone having trouble finding Genesis? If you do, just open up the cover of your Bible. Now, Genesis is called the book of Genesis because it's the book of new beginnings. 
And we're going to see that in the beginning, even the first family had their struggles. And when I say first family, I'm not talking about the Obamas. Our text today is Genesis chapter 4, verse 11. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now as a background, let's look at verse number 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And Eve said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Folks, do you know we serve just an unbelievable, fantastic God? A God that loves us? Because even with Eve's failure, God still fulfilled the prophecy that says the seed of the woman would rise up and crush the head of the serpent. And what that means is no matter what you've done, no matter what I've done, when we come back to God, God will still honor the promises that he has made to you and me. Every promise in the book is yes and amen, no matter what, or how we've disappointed our Heavenly Father. When we come to Him, we are restored. So don't ever, ever give up on God's promises for your life. Verse 2 says, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, we're going to see that there is a great deal of significance to the order of their birth because in many times in scriptures you'll find two brothers and two sons are very important for understanding God's plan for the body of Christ now I think we understand the teaching that the inheritance should go to the firstborn son in Bible teaching but what's interesting is when you study the Bible God has a habit of reversing the order and blessing the unexpected. How many could use an unexpected blessing today? Amen. And many times the blessing of the Lord is on the second son. So whether you're talking about Cain and Abel or Esau and Jacob or Perez and Zerah, you have to watch out for that second boy. Why? Because it is a foreshadowing of God's plan to redeem you and me. Because you see, in the eyes of the Lord, he had two sons. The first son was Adam, according to Luke chapter 3. Adam was God's first created son, and Jesus Christ was God's only begotten son. And so even though the first son may fumble the ball, God has a way of blessing the second son and reversing the curse. And what that means is what Adam got me into, Jesus Christ got me out of. God will bless the unexpected in your life. You know, as we study the Bible, we find out that the Bible is very concise. It doesn't waste time with trivia. It doesn't deal with things that aren't essential. And so if the Bible takes the time to mention something, well, we have to assume that well, it's pretty important, isn't it? I mean, because notice with me, the Bible doesn't tell us whether Cain and Abel were nice looking. It doesn't talk about whether they were tall or short, whether they were fat or thin, whether they had hair or not hair. It doesn't deal with unimportant issues, but it does take the time to tell us their occupation. And it's because 
Their occupation is relative to the revelation of the story. Now, the Bible says Cain, the first son, was a tiller of the ground. And so Cain brings before God something that was grown from a place that God had already cursed and rejected because Adam and Eve had sinned. And so Cain is a picture of of humanism. He's a picture of dead works. He's a picture of men trying to please God through their own efforts and through earthly things. But you see, when the Bible talks about Abel, well, Abel becomes a foreshadowing of the picture of Jesus Christ. Because Abel, like Jesus, well, he's a shepherd. He takes care and he loves his sheep. And Abel brings to God what God really wants, a blood sacrifice. You see, because Hebrews chapter 9 states, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Friend, it doesn't matter what other skills or talents you may have. It doesn't matter how good looking you are, how rich you are. If what you do in your life is not through the blood of Jesus, it's not going to work. Because it is the blood that makes the difference in mankind as we travel this earth. I mean, without blood, there is no satisfying or pleasing God. So verse 3 says that in the process of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. And so it was something that he had worked up by the sweat of his brow. Have you ever seen people trying to impress God or move God with something that they had worked up by the sweat of their brow? Folks, the best way, the simplest way to please God is to give Him what He wants. Not what you want, not what you did, not your talents, not even what your mama told you to do, but simply give God what He wants. That's all He asks for us to do. So when Abel comes before the Lord, he brings of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat and offers what Hebrews 11 chapter 4 calls a more excellent sacrifice. Now, we need to understand something. God is not a respecter of persons. So there's no need in getting upset when God blesses one person and not another. Our Heavenly Father is not prejudiced. He doesn't prefer Sally more than Sue. He doesn't prefer Mike more than Terry, even though Bonnie may have. He is not a respecter of persons. I can't help it. She liked me better. God is not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of principles. And so it's silly for people to get upset when they offer up something to God that he will not accept, and then they get frustrated because they don't see the same results that someone else gets. If we'll simply do what God asks, we will receive what God's promises are. All of his promises are yes and amen, and they they are for every born-again child of God. You see, as long as Abel had not won the attention and the affection of God, Cain was okay. 
But the moment Abel received God's favor by giving God what God wanted, that's when Cain got the attitude. So verse 4 says that God respected Abel and his offering. Folks, how that applies to you and me is we need to be a worshiper. We should never come to church without an offering. I'm not talking about money. That's not what I mean. That sermon is coming up later, not today. And we will be talking about money, but not today. What I'm talking about is when David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will come into his gates with thanksgiving. I will come into his house with praise. We should always bring our praise with us. There is no need for you to sit back rolling your eyes when someone offers up the sacrifice of praise from the fruit of their lips. Because that's when God is going to send down a strong anointing and that person gets their healing and that person gets their deliverance and that person gets their joy and peace. So don't judge and think they're acting out in the flesh and that it doesn't take all of that. Because I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that it does take all of that and more. We need to find out what God likes, find out what God wants, and give that to Him. And I can tell you for a fact that God wants us to honor Him and praise Him. Now, I believe that these brothers weren't ambushed. I believe they knew what an acceptable sacrifice was. First, because Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. And then Romans chapter 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you offer up something by faith, there has to be a word that has preceded that. Second reason I believe that God had given the boys instructions is because when Cain got upset in verse 6, God says to Cain, you big baby, suck it up. Why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? He said, come on, cry baby, you act like it's impossible for you to be blessed. But if you'll simply do what I tell you to do, you too can have my blessing. So if you're sitting there and you're jealous and you're upset because God is blessing someone else, you're going to have problems, friends. God is not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of principles. And if you will do what God says, he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive. And again, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about peace. I'm talking about health. I'm talking about happiness. That you may be sufficient in all things. Friend, if we'll simply offer up to God what he has required, he'll bless it. And what that means for you and me is that if, if we know that praising God opens doors for us, I mean, we ought to praise him more than anyone else. If you know that when you sow and give, God will give promotions and raises and blessings, don't let the devil tell you, oh, that's not necessary for you. 
If it's in the Bible, it is necessary for you. And if it's in the Bible, it will work for you. But, hey, you know, it's a free world. We're all about inclusiveness now. Everybody's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. The dog's okay. Everybody's okay. And so if you want to sit quietly with your arms folded, looking distinguished, sitting real hard on your wallet, it doesn't bother me. That's okay. We're still going to get along just fine as long as you don't mind me dancing on top of your blue suede shoes, waving my arms in a wave offering in the presence of Almighty God. Because I'm going to give God the offering of, the pra- of my praise from the fruit of my lips. Because that is where blessings originate. Blessings originate when we praise our Father. And that means we can be blessed going in. We can be blessed coming out. We can be blessed in the city. We can be blessed in the field. Everything we touch, God wants to bless it. If we'll give Him what He wants. So by faith, let's offer him a more excellent sacrifice. Let's step it up a notch. Sharpen our game a little bit. Because after all, it boils down to verse 7. If we do well, we will be accepted. But if we do not do well, sin lies the door so today we're looking at a picture a foreshadowing of what God is going to do through Jesus Christ Jesus becomes a type of the second son who pleased God with his offering Because you have to understand, until Jesus came, well, the sins of the world, I mean, it was still an issue. I mean, God was pacified in the Old Testament, but he wasn't satisfied. Before Christ, they offered up the blood of bulls and goats. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Unleavened Bread only had soothed God. Those things had not satisfied. All of the lambs that had been slain from Genesis to Matthew collectively could not satisfy the debt that sin had laid on mankind. Oh, but then comes Jesus. Then comes Jesus. He was the only priest who was both the offeror and the offering. And he gave himself, and Hebrews 10, 14 says, By that one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Only Jesus could be the priest and the offering. Only Jesus could be the alpha and the omega. Only Jesus could be the first and the last. Only Jesus can be the beginning and the end. He was the offeror and the sacrifice. And Jesus Christ said, I am that I am. There is nobody like my Jesus. No one, nowhere. Listen, friend, you are on dangerous ground. You are on thin ice when you relegate Almighty God to a has-been. Don't let anyone fool you. 
Don't let society jade your opinion. When Jesus went to the cross, he shook up the elements. He tore through the dispensation. He ripped through the ages. It was so powerful that eternity began to tremor and shake. When Jesus went to the cross, it settled forever the sin issue for the blood washed and sanctified in Christ. And I want you to know his power will still defeat Satan today. Genesis chapter 4, it talks about how Cain became so jealous that he rose up and killed his brother. And that's a picture of the enemy wanting to crucify the Lamb of God. Satan wanted to kill Jesus because Jesus was healing the sick. He was going around raising the dead. Bondages were being broken, demons were sent packing, peace was given to the poor, and the devil wanted to kill Jesus because Jesus was wrecking Satan's dominion. Well, in our passage today, verse 8 tells us that the brothers were out in the field. Now, Abel wasn't supposed to be in the field. The field was where Cain worked. That was Cain's domain. But Abel came over to Cain's territory, and they talked. Well, see, this is a picture of the conflict between God and Satan, between good and evil. The original fight broke out in heaven. When Lucifer, the son of the morning, was jealous and tried to overthrow God in his own house. But Jesus said later on, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. But that wasn't enough. The dumb devil wouldn't leave it alone. Then he comes along and he contaminated God's prized creation, mankind. And so Jesus and the devil met again, this time on neutral territory here on earth. Matthew chapter 4 says, after Jesus was baptized by John, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. After 40 days of fasting, Satan tried to ambush Jesus and whip him, whip him again. But Jesus, even in this weak state, wouldn't be intimidated. And Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing here, Satan, you couldn't whip me at my own house. You're sure not going to draw me down to the corner and whip me here, here either. Jesus said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Devil, get out of my face. Jesus rebuked him. And the Bible said that the enemy left. But for a season. I mean, you know how it is. You know how it is when someone keeps picking on you. And you know how it is when someone, someone keeps picking at you. You know, it reminds me of when I was young, living at home with my sister. You know, after a while, you know, you just get tired of it. You just get full. Well, I want you to know Jesus got full. Jesus had had enough. And he said, I'll tell you what, devil. <laughs> we fought in heaven. I threw you out of there. Then again, we've tangled down here on earth, and you've left with your tail between your legs every single time. But devil, I am sick of this, and I'm going to settle this issue forever. I am not only coming to your neighborhood, devil. I'm coming to your house. I'm not only coming to your house. I'm coming in your living room. I'm coming in front of your kids, and I'm going to put the holy hurt on you. You talk about the ultimate superhero Jesus is healing the sick. He's raising the dead, but he says, that is not enough. I have more to do. I am going down to the enemy's camp. 
And then he says something interesting in John chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain, much fruit, much wheat. So Jesus said, I'm going down to the enemy's camp, and I'm going to take back what the devil stole from me. And then he gave a reassurance in John 10, 18. Hey, don't worry about it. No man takes my life. I lay it down freely, but also don't worry about it because I also have the power to pick it up again. Devil, here I come. Get ready. I'm going to be knocking on your door. Well, the devil tried to kill Jesus on the whipping post. But if Jesus would have died there, no one would have been saved. Then the devil tried to kill Jesus halfway up Calvary's hill. But, but if he had died there, there wouldn't have been any hope for you and me. Jesus had to get to the cross. The cross was the goal. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And when Jesus got there, Philippians 2 8 says, He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Those of us who have been in church all of our lives, we dare not. We dare not take the cross for granted. We dare not downplay the magnitude of the cross because it was the cross. It was that thing of torture. It was that thing of death that allowed the shed blood of Jesus to flow down that changed everything so that we might be saved. Thank God for the cross. Jesus said, go ahead, devil. Go ahead, drive the nails in my hands. Go ahead, devil, put the spear in my side. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, son, that's the dumbest thing you've ever done. Again, I'm paraphrasing. I really don't have a translation I got that of, but I'm, you get the gist of it. Well, Jesus died. And the sun refused to shine. He died and it shook the earth. He died and the veil in the temple was ripped apart. But you see, folks, also, when he died, the law, that had bound men up, turned loose and went to grace. When he died, cursings turned into blessings. Jesus died, but he knew it wasn't over because he said, I will come again. I will rise on the third day. The mistake that Satan made was when they lifted Jesus up on the cross. They raised him up off the ground because Jesus said, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to me, black, white, red, yellow, rich, poor, from all corners of the earth. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Jesus Christ died so you and you and you and you and me could make it to the cross and find our salvation there and live eternally with him in heaven. Christ died for you and me. The Roman soldier that pierced the side of Jesus, he typified what, what Cain did. Back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says that when Cain killed Abel, Abel's blood cried out from the ground. And the ground opened its mouth and received the brother's blood. You see, the devil thought if he could kill Jesus, he would kill his ministry. And you see, that's what the devil thinks about you also. The devil thinks that if he can uh, get people to kill your reputation, they'll kill you. The devil wants you to think that if he can get people to kill your confidence, that it'll kill you. 
But I'm here to tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, your power is not in you. Your power is not in your education. Your power is not in your checking account. Your power is not in who you know. Your power is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That is your power. That is how you overcome Satan. That is how you overcome this world. Through the blood of Jesus. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Luke 22, 20 says, the New Testament is in his blood. And when they pierced his side, out came blood and water. The ground opened its mouth and received the blood of our Lord and Savior. And that blood was used to cleanse the sin of the world. To cleanse the sins of the world. And the reason why the dumbest thing Satan ever did was raising Jesus up off the ground so he could draw all men unto him. Because before Satan crucified Jesus, he only had one son to deal with. He only had to deal with Jesus. But now, now, beloved, 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 now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. And when we are covered under the blood of Jesus, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Thank God for the blood. God said in Genesis 4, I heard the voice of your brother's blood crying to me from the ground. What that means, folks, is that the blood can speak. The blood has a voice. And that means that you don't have to fight for yourself because the blood of Jesus can speak for you. You don't have to speak for yourself because his blood can say what needs to be said. You don't have to prove anything to anybody because the blood of Jesus will promote you. The blood of Jesus will testify who you are. The blood of Jesus will testify whose you are. His blood makes a stain that will never leave you or forsake you. His blood makes a stain that is there in the midnight hour. I don't know what you thank him for, but I thank God for the blood of Jesus. Praise him. I thank him for the power that is in that blood. You know, in this text that we've been looking at, it's really an interesting analogy. Now, of course, it's easy to understand who God is. And so we understand that Cain is a type of the enemy operating in the flesh. We understand that Cable is, is a type of Christ, a preferred son. Who's the ground? What does the ground have to do with our story? Well, you see, until the blood touched the ground, the ground couldn't speak. The ground didn't have a voice. God couldn't hear it. God couldn't help it. But you see, when the blood hit the ground, that ground that had been muted opened up her mouth and began to speak. When the blood hit the ground, it changed its nature. And so when I think about the blood, I think about me. 
I personalized it to me when I was in my sin. I didn't have a voice. I couldn't speak. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't change myself. But down on my knees one day, I opened up my mouth, and the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ flowed in. I thank God for the blood because the blood of Jesus is my ticket to salvation. It's my ticket to everlasting life. It is my ticket to a life here on earth that is more abundant. Thank God for the blood. Devil, you're not fighting me. You're fighting the blood of Jesus Christ that is alive in my life. So, friends, when the blood falls on you, it'll give you a voice. When the blood covers you, you can communicate in the heavens. When you get a good dose of the blood, your life will be supercharged. And you won't have to take the devil's junk any longer. You won't have to live in his bondage. You don't have to be who you used to be. The blood will change your heart. The blood will change your attitude. The blood will change your bad habits. The blood, the blood, the blood. You have to understand, friend, there is deliverance in the blood. Healing is in the blood. Joy is in the blood. I may be old-fashioned, but I thank God for the blood. Go ahead and thank God for all the things that he does for us, and that's great. He is wonderful, and he provides for us. You can thank him for your Mercedes. You can thank him for your silk dress. You can thank him for your diamond ring. But I thank him for the blood. His blood delivered me. His blood set me free. His blood cleaned me up. His blood is better than Confucius. It is better than Muhammad. It is better than the New Age. When the devil comes against you, plead the blood of Jesus. When folks talk about you, plead the blood of Jesus. When they bring up your past, plead the blood of Jesus. When they wrong you, plead the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus that makes the difference. It is the blood of Jesus that separates us from every other religion in the world. It's all in the blood. God said, I can hear the voice of your brother's blood. I recognize his voice. Coming from a new place, but, but it's his voice. So Pastor Travis has been talking about the words of Jesus and giving us practical ways that we can flesh those out in our everyday life. But friend, I want you to know, if I'm ever able to forgive, it's because of his blood. If I ever do right, it's because of the blood of Jesus. If I'm ever able to love the unlovable, it's because of the blood of Jesus. It's hard for me not to talk about the blood and not feel better. It's hard for me to not talk about the blood and not get strength because there is power. Power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, got to hurt. Verse 12, verse 12, when the Lord confronted Cain, God said, Cain, no matter what you plant, the ground will no longer yield its strength to you. And you know, I thought about that, and it, it reminded me of yard work. I'm weird, I, you know, I admit it. It reminded me of yard work. You know, my sidewalk goes around my house, and, and in the cracks of the concrete, weeds were going up through it. I'm sure most of you have had that same situation. And so I got the weed eater out, and I ate the weeds. 
That's what it says, weed eater. Eat the weeds. But even though I cut the weeds, they came right back. Then I got down on my knees and I pulled up the weeds by the roots. Well, that was good. That, that was better. It, they lasted a time, but after a while, they came back up again. I said, what is going on? I thought getting things up by the roots took care of it. I pulled them up by the roots, and they keep coming back. So I went to Lowe's. And I asked the clerk. I told him my problem. I keep pulling up my weeds. I pluck them up, pull them up by the roots, and they still come back. He said, well, sir, I've got the ticket for you. But the reason, I'm going to explain to you your problem. The reason why they keep coming back is that you pulled up the plants. You may have even pulled up the roots, but you left the seeds of the weeds. He said, now I have something in a bottle that you just spray in the cracks. You don't have to cut it. You just spray it. You don't have to pull it. You just spray it. And he said, not only will it kill what's growing, but it also kills the unborn seeds in the ground. Okay, here's my point. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you're born again, I know that you thank God for the blood and what God forgave you for. He forgave you for who you used to be and what you used to be. I mean, the blood took care of all that. But what is so incredible and fantastic and unbelievable and unimaginable about the blood is that not only did the blood take care of what you did, but it also killed out what you were about to do. You don't know what you almost did. You don't know who you would have become. You don't know what you would have gotten into if it had not been for the blood. The blood not only straightened out what you did, but it killed what you could have done, what you almost did, what you thought about doing. I want you to know the blood is the gift that literally saved your life, and it is a gift that continues to save your life. Devil, the blood of Jesus is at work against you. And Satan, I can't stop you from trying, but I want you to know it's not going to work. Satan, you can try to plant in my life if you want to, but I'm going to spray the blood. You can accuse me, but I'm going to spray the blood. You can bring up my past, but I'm going to spray the blood. That's who I used to be. That's who I was. But I want you to know the blood has set me free. The blood has delivered me. The blood of Jesus has turned me around. Friend, listen to me. You don't have to live in fear. The Bible says that the enemy is going to try a whole lot of things in your life. But if you've ever been washed in the blood, if you continue to be covered in the blood, it's not going to work. Because the blood will build a wall around you. The blood will build a hedge around you so that even if the enemy tries to plant, you will never, never yield your strength to your old problems again. And it's because the blood of Jesus is keeping you. You will never yield to the devil again. great, but, but, but how do I stay there? You simply stay covered in the blood. When you're cooking, cooking dinner, you plead the blood. When you're taking a shower, you plead the blood. When you're in your car, you plead the blood. When you're sitting at your desk, you plead the blood. 
When you're going through your everyday routine, you continually plead the blood. Get everything in your house covered by the blood of Jesus. Spray the blood of Jesus on everything you own. The blood, the blood, the blood. Stand on your feet with me all over this room. Friend, I want you to know we have a right to praise the Lord. We have something to be excited about. I want you to lift your hands. I want you to open your mouth. And I want you to praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank Him for the blood today. Thank Him. Remember what the blood has done for you. Let's praise Him today. Think about your children and thank Him for the blood. Think about your marriage and thank Him for the blood that covers it. Think about your house. Cover it with the blood. Think about your job. Cover it with the blood. I want you to know the devil is nervous today because we are talking about the blood of Jesus Christ that defeated him forever. Let's praise him for the blood. Father, we praise your name today, Heavenly Father. We praise your name. Oh, Heavenly Father. Bow your heads with me if you would just for a second. I'm almost finished. We'll be out of here soon. If you're here today, friend, you're not covered by the blood. You're not born again. I'm sorry. There is no help in the blood of Jesus if you're not covered in it. You have to have it covering you. Because the benefit of the blood only comes when you've been washed in it. But I want you to know, friend, you can be today. That's why it's so wonderful. So wonderful. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, asking you to your sins can be completely erased by the blood of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian. You're born again. But the Holy Spirit has pointed out some weeds that have started growing up in the cracks of your life. Things that aren't covered by the blood. Things that aren't right. Things that you know God is not So if you're here today, if you have sin in your life, and you need to be washed in that fountain, filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, I want you to raise your hand as a testimony. Yes, I need the blood. Thank you. I need the blood. Thank you. I need the blood. Thank you. I need the blood. I need the blood. Jesus, I need the blood. Friend, I want you to know hell is restless today because we are talking about the blood. Demons are trembling because we're talking about the blood. The blood will defeat them on every occasion. If you need the blood of Jesus to do something in your life, raise your hand right now. All over this room, yeah. Yes, thank you. Oh, we never lose sight of what the blood, what the blood is doing. Right now, right now, right now, someone is being healed. Someone is being healed in this room and it's because of the blood. Right now, oh, thank you, God. There is a tumor that is shrinking right now, and it's because of the blood. The blood, the blood, the blood will never lose its power. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for the blood. All right, you can open your eyes. Altar workers, would you come? Take your place. Elders, come on, take your place. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood will give you strength. The blood makes a way where there is no way. If you're here today and you raised your hand, or you didn't raise your hand, it, it doesn't matter. 
But I want you to know these altars are open. These are the most wonderful, loving people you will ever meet in your life. And nothing, nothing would make them happier than to be able to pray with you. Friend, I want you to know the blood of Jesus is available for you. This blood is for you. His blood is for you. The singers are going to create an atmosphere of worship as we sing. Come on, if you raised your hand, come and receive what God has for you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. God has something special for you today. And it's all because of the blood. But you have to come. You have to receive it. You have to receive what God has for you. Come and receive the blood of Jesus Christ in your life today. The blood of Jesus. The blood is our victory. The blood is our victory. The Bible says, by his stripe we are healed. If you need healing today, it's through his blood. Come. The elders will lay hands on you and pray for you. Touch your body. Life of the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. If you need newness of life today, come and receive what God has. Blood saved our life. It is the blood. 